0: Section fifty five of Russia, Austria Hungary, the Balkan States, and Turkey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The World's Story, Volume Six Russia, Austria Hungary, the Balkan States, and Turkey. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section fifty five the devastation of st vitus's church 1619-1620 to by marie hay frederick v elector or ruler of the palatinate a former german state married elizabeth of england daughter of james i in 1619 frederick accepted the crown of bohemia at the hands of the protestants he was thus forced to battle with the catholic league of germany and in 1620 was routed in the decisive battle of the white mountains bohemia then lay in the power of ferdinand ii of austria who gave it over into the hands of the jesuits frederick was supported during the rest of his life by the charity of his friends he was derisively called the winter king the editor one chill december morning master scoltetis and a crowd of black-cloaked men followed by a gang of workmen entered the ancient church of st vitus which adjoins the Hradcany palace the church lay in gloom no light glimmered before the high altar no lamps shed their radiance before the shrines of st vitus and of st john nepomuk for three hundred years these lights had burned before the relics of those holy martyrs for three hundred years the czechish people had prayed god to hear their petitions through the intercession of these his chosen ones even when the bohemians had broken away from their ancient cult in pious memory they had still venerated these shrines and lutheran and papist alike had seen in the honoring of bohemia's great dead a sacred national custom a few days before the new king the hero who was to deliver bohemia came to prague the cathedral of st vitus had been taken from the priests and since then the church had been deserted the flowers had withered upon the altars and in the untended lamps the little flames had flickered and sunk to death there were many among the populace who had bitterly resented this harsh dealing had not frederick promised religious freedom to bohemia not alone the papists were moved to anger the lutherans too resented this act of calvinistic tyranny it was a dangerous thing to affront the revered Domherren, the priests of the church of st vitus and though each priest was paid a few talers a week this scanty pension could not appease their anger nor assuage their horror at the injustice of freedom's champion dispossessing them of their church quietly the well-known Domherren glided through the streets of prague whispering their bitterness into the ears of lutheran and catholic alike these priests had been in the crowd which had stood round the doors of the vitus church during the coronation and though the feasting populace in the excitement of the rejoicings had scarce noticed the whispers some of the poison had slipped into their thoughts and afterwards when the merry-making was past, they had remembered the priests words and a pulse of sullen resentment a quaver of suspicion had lived in the people's hearts against their calvinistic ruler master scultetus and his followers stood gazing into the dark church high over the rude screen the stone crucifix seemed an appeal so potent that it was almost a menace and on the many altars in the aisles the carven figures of the saints loomed like quiet watchers all around a majestic company of silent witnesses to their country's vanished greatness lay bohemia's mighty dead keeping watch they too in the desolate church emperors and kings and dukes of bohemia their names recording dynasties long dead and beside them lay the proud nobles of the land labkowitz and Duba, vlastgen and rossmiedel pardubitz and vratislaw von perenstein knights and princes of the church verily it was a sumptuous court gathered round the king of pain and humility upon the cross the deserted church was a sanctuary of stillness and of memory and even scultetus paused on the threshold then with a fierce gesture like a cruel hunter setting his hounds at a fallen prey he flung out his arm see the accursed dolls the hideous idols he cried see the graven images before which the people are wont to offer sacrilegious prayer away with these sham gods we are come to cleanse god's church down with these wanton effigies the black-cloaked company rushed into the church like madmen they broke open the wrought-iron railings before the tombs of bohemia's nobles and with fury they attacked the altars trampling underfoot the silken hangings strewing the withered flowers upon the ground and hurling down the golden altar vases half a hundred german masons and artisans and a band of mercenary soldiers whom scultetus had summoned to perform this foul task set to work upon the stone figures of the saints dealing blow after blow with their hammers upon the serene faces of the sacred statues a flood of ribaldry broke loose as the madness of destruction rose in the hearts of these rough men half-drunken already from the raw spirits which the Calvinist had caused to be served to them ere they followed him into the church come here's peter with his key-bunch i would it could open the priest's cellar shouted another while he hacked with his heavy axe into the gilded statue of st peter see comrades i've found a blessed saint's pate roared a drunken saxon lurching from a side chapel here catch it then i'll warrant twill make a good ball he flung the skull into a group of workers who toiled to shatter the delicate stone tracery of the chancel gate the ravagers warmed to their work scultetus stood with folded arms gazing on the ghastly sight with a smile of exultation he laid no touch upon the wrecked church but he gloated over each blow dealt to those accursed popish images the church was like some mad dream of a devastated feasting-hall the ground was strewn with silken hangings with velvets with embroideries of gold and silver thread golden vases rolled on the stone floor waxen limbs from the lesser shrines lay grotesque and horrible in the folds of the altar cloths gilt and silver candlesticks bent and twisted lay about and jewelled reliquaries despoiled of their precious stones were mixed into the gorgeous refuse of spoiled beauty and everywhere like symbols of death lay the withered flowers from the altars the thunderous noise of hammers upon the stone rang out unceasingly, while ever and anon a deafening crash told that another statue had been felled. A knot of men made it their especial task to empty the reliquaries, and with obscene jests the sacred dust was flung about, and the brittle bones of the long dead were broken and thrown into the air with lewd shouts for their last requiem mass. Still, over all, the crucified king remained inviolate, high above the wrecked rood screen only two things had been spared by the destroyers the crucifix and the royal oratory that quaint fifteenth-century gallery which clung to the church wall like a swallow's nest high above the ravagers reach but it was not for this reason that the oratory had been spared scultetus the low-born preacher had commanded his men to lay no touch upon this sacred place of royal prayer and thus, although the aureoled figures of saints were mingled with the emblems of monarchy in the ornaments of the oratory, they had remained scatheless. The crimson curtain in the royal gallery was thrust aside, and Frederick, king of Bohemia, looked down and saw how his new country's beloved cathedral was turned into the shambles of beauty and a fearful picture of outraged reference. Scultetus saw him and pointed at the destruction as the lord purged the temple so have i cleansed this church of the dross of idolatry he said sternly the wreckers seeing king frederick paused in their abominable work on my friends cried scultetus pull down the last vestige of the heathen's worship his glance rested on the crucifix ah here is work for you he cried break me that profane thing of the image worshippers Down, down among the gentry who had accompanied scultetus indeed those who had led the work of destruction were six bohemians of the lesser nobility these were bushislav berka budovitz young michalovitz berbestorf and daniel sakrita calvinists and sworn enemies of the priests they had joyed in the havoc but even they hung back before the wrecking of the crucifix it was bohemia's most venerated shrine this great crucifix of st vitus and a most beauteous work of the twelfth century it is a pity to break that master muttered berka hesitatingly it cannot harm to leave that you are not earnest for the faith sir root and branch shall this church be cleansed of the defilement of filthy idols cried scultetus and to the masons he shouted on to your task i will pay a double wage to those who break down yonder heathen image his words renewed the workman's ardor and in an instant, they had roped the head of Christ, and sixteen men dragged at the cords, while a score hewed and hammered at the base of the cross. With a thunderous crash, the mass of stone fell to the ground, and for a moment the wreckers drew back in superstitious awe, for the whole church rocked as if the mighty edifice shuddered at the sacrilege. The fall had broken the stone cross, and among the crimson velvets of a heap of altar cloths, the figure of the crucified lay prone strangely real and piteous like a newly slain victim the awe struck workmen stood huddled together but Berbistorf, recovering from his momentary fear sprang forward and touched the prone figure with his foot ha he exclaimed laughing gruffly ha thou who hast claimed to save sinners prove now thy power save thyself ho ho he cannot see comrades the idol is broken down scornfully the blasphemer spurned the fallen christ wretched doll whom fools have worshipped he cried and spat into the tranquil face beneath the crown of thorns it is well known how wit is sharpened by approval and the workman's rough laughter again inspired Berbistorf. bring me that image of john he called and two score of eager hands obeyed him the statue of the beloved apostle was dragged from its resting-place against the shattered gates of the royal tomb of bohemia here lay the thing beside the woman mary cried berbestorff and as the willing well-paid hirelings laid the statue next to that of the blessed virgin berbestorff rolled the sculptured saint against our lady's statue and laughing aloud cried out you loved each other upon earth there i've put you together again so that you may be free to love once more there was a moment's silence wherein the clink of the metal rings which held the velvet hangings of the royal oratory window was clearly heard frederick king of bohemia had closed the curtain and had disappeared from the sight of his supporters who were doing such glorious work for bohemia and the faith in the name of god seeing that the king had fled before this insult to womanhood in the person of god's blessed mother scultetus smiled really his majesty was too faint-hearted but it mattered not he scultetus was at hand to battle for the pure faith of calvin and he at least would never waver, never recoil before God's service. The king left the royal oratory and hurried through the long corridors of the rambling palace to the queen's apartments. In the antechamber he met Count Schlick and Bernard Thurn. Both men were in the grip of strong emotion, and Schlick poured forth a stream of soft, swift check when he saw the king. Sire, cried Thurn, silencing his valuable companion, for he remembered that Frederick understood no word of check. "'There is terrible work afoot in the Vitus church. "'You cannot know what your preacher is doing, "'but for God's sake stop this sacrilege. "'It will turn the heart of every bohemian against you. "'I implore you.' "'Frederick stopped him with a haughty wave of the hand. "'My young lord of Thurn," he said coldly, "'you are forever trying to teach me my duty. "'You forget who I am, and also that I am an older man than you. "'You should learn respect for my riper experience.' You may be a hundred years older than I, sire, cried Thurn hotly, but I know the Bohemian people as you cannot know them yet. The experience of one country is useless in another, and your German experience cannot aid you in Bohemia. There's no time to be lost, sire, I pray you, I pray you, stop this ruthless man who will wreck your kingdom. Silence, sir. You speak of your superior in age and knowledge, answered the king pompously. Thurn spoke to Schlick in Bohemian. The old man caught the king's arm and addressed him in a choking voice. Frederick looked at him. In spite of himself, he was impressed by Schlick's manner. Translate what the count says, he ordered Thurn. Andreas Schlick tells your majesty what each Bohemian will say in his heart today when he hears that our country is in the hands of a man who knows no reverence for Bohemia. Count Schlick says thus the die is cast. Thurn replied sternly. You are traitors, began the king furiously nay sire we are no traitors but we know that he who wounds the trust of bohemians will receive but half-hearted service from them in his dire need young thurn said arrest this gentleman called the king to a guard who stood at the door of the antechamber thurn unfastened his sword belt and kneeling presented his sword to frederick with one of those quick changes of mood to which the undecided are liable the king pushed aside the proffered sword hilt nay you meant well keep your sword and learn that you cannot browbeat a king he said grandiloquently and passed into the queen's apartments alas for bohemia exclaimed schlick we have chosen a pretty boy who can play at being king in a masquerade but we wanted either a strong man to rule us or a puppet to obey us king frederick is neither of these and bohemia is doomed in the town of prague the news of the wrecking of st vitus was received with strange indifference it seemed as though schlick and thurn had miscalculated the people's love for their ancient church and frederick seeing this felt himself the more secure more than ever the master of his people they had made no murmur against the enforcement of his will in this most vital thing how should they he argued since having chosen a calvinist for their king they must have always understood that though as champion of religious freedom he would permit the lutherans the bohemian brethren and even the few remaining taborites to worship as they listed no such leniency could be shown to papists how could frederick know that he owed his people's calmness to the Domherren? he did not dream that the priests gliding through the narrow streets whispered patience to the people patience for had not the holy father the pope himself said that frederick was but a king of snows like to the snowmen the children built in the winter he and his dominion would melt away and vanish in a little time the priest wished for no premature revolt ending in bloodshed and ultimate submission they waited knowing that the imperial army was still too far away to aid them knowing right well too that maximilian of bavaria's disciplined troops would brush away like dust the feeble resistance of the ill-paid underfed half-hearted bohemian army but the time was not yet, and the priests bade the people to wait quietly. And they were obeyed, for though many to whom they spoke were Lutherans, from early youth they had known the priests, whereas the Calvinists were strangers to them. Also, the priests spoke to them in their own tongue, that soft, well-beloved language of which, as the priests reminded the people, neither Frederick, Elizabeth, nor their court knew a single word. End of section fifty five. This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Colleen McMahon.